Shut up and sit down. Can you hear me now? Hello? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was just chatting like crazy over here. <laughs> my my thing wasn't plugged all the way in. My my headset it has a little remote control thing, but it wasn't plugged all the way in. Okay. Okay. Now we're here. <clears throat> Okay, okay, so, um, what was I saying? Well, I need to start over. Okay, so, um, I had listened to the first trope riff we did for the Fix-It, and we talked mostly about fandoms that we, um, like to fix, the Hobbit, Harry Potter, um, the Sentinel, talking about, you know, ways specifically, you know, the kind of things that really stand out to us we want to fix things that um, really bother us in, in canon. And then we went off on this whole tangent about the Vegetable Ninja. So if you haven't listened to the first um, uh, Trope Drift, you need to. It is listed. Um, it is linked in this um, podcast description. And um, so give it a listen. For the Vegetable Ninja alone, you need to listen to it because it is hilarious. So um, we're going to get Jilly on the air. And tonight we're going to focus on um, uh, making little changes and how those changes should ripple. And this is something that we harp on a lot, um, you know, the, the, the ripple effect, because it is important. It is an important thing that you need to learn in your craft. And um, it is really beneficial to your world building and your characterization to get a full grasp of what this means. And, of course, today is the first day of sign-ups for Quantum Bang. It's Jilly's baby that she's sharing with me, so I'm going to get her on the air. Congratulations on the birth of your <laughs> fandom baby. Uh, I had a fandom baby, and it's yeah. not even got words. <laughs> it's, it's got a it's I bet you've got, got a lot of words over there. You've <laughs> <laughs> already put a lot of words over there. We're not, you know, not, not like fan fiction words, more like bossy words, because we're we both excel at that. <laughs> I can, I can, I can, I can ramble on about anything. So if somebody asks me a simple question, I'm just gonna go, okay, five paragraphs later. Well, it's much for simple. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't that simple after all. But, you know, I do consider Rough Trade kind of my fandom baby. So, um, yeah, you know, I am very protective of it. And when people talk about it, I'm, I'm side-eyeing them, making sure they're not saying anything mean about my baby. <laughs> You're not being mean about it, are you? Um, I did get, well, I did I get somebody asked to be polarized. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some, people, some people don't like that it's not an archive, and it's just like, I just need to really get over that shit. <laughs> right. Move on. 
nobody's yelling at the nano site for not being an archive, but then nobody actually posts that you can read on nano. But, you know, it's just people need to get over their expectations. Um, oh, I just had a complete brain fart. Um, where did I, where did my stats go? I just got another sign up too. Um so with the one we just got, we were at 57 people signed up. And no, they did not all sign up today. I just wasn't counting or even looking at the signups until late last night. And then I'm like, okay, well, we're officially open for business. I'm going to go count the signups now and start working on them. And, um, yeah, so we're up to 50, 52 authors. That's the one I haven't put in yet. 57 signups, 52 authors. Um that's a lot. It feels like I didn't expect to have that many people signed up at all, much less by today. So that's I'm really I really encourage so many people are interested in doing this because um, anything that gets people writing makes me happy, and um, I love a good fix it story. So um, I'm just selfishly happy about all the stuff we'll have to read next June. <laughs> I did put a thing on Tumblr, so if you tumble. Go over to Tumblr and um, re-blog whatever my link for Quantum Bang. I'd really appreciate it. Whatever you do to make it, you know, go to other people's pages. <laughs> I don't tumble. I don't tumble well at all. I don't actually get Tumblr. I have a hard time with it. Um, but I did go over there and post a link. So if you guys would go over there and tumble it around for me, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> whatever you do, do that thing you do. <laughs> go tumble go tumble go twit or tweet or do your thing <laughs> did I tweet I don't know if I tweeted I'll tweet too I'll tweet I'll tweet Tumblr is for more than just porn I think I mean I don't actually tumble I mean I have a Tumblr As- and people follow it as has no function for Tumblr that's not porn. That's what she means. Um, so, but I mean, it seems like every time I run across Tumblr, it's some really dysfunctional segment of fandom that's focused, that's centered on Tumblr. It's like, okay. Now, not to say there's not some some good fandom stuff that's out there, but there are some segments, it seems like there's some fandoms that really grew up on Tumblr, like they formed and kind of came into being on Tumblr. I, I don't know how you how you have functional discourse on Tumblr. Tumblr is very one direction. <laughs> you know, it, it drives me crazy. Literally. Yeah, literally yeah. and literally all one direction. It's a boy band. <laughs> it's a boy band. I don't understand how to reply to people. I don't understand how to reply to their replies. It just, it's, um, it's difficult. It's a challenge for people who are used to a two-way, at least a two-way discourse. You know that because you're you're not even replying to them; you're just constantly reposting and adding to the bottom. It, it's it's just and if, if the person who did the original may not ever even notice that you, if they've gotten a bunch of reblogs, you're not really engaged in a discourse with them. <laughs> so it's just it's just strange. It, it Tumblr is a little bit. Sometimes I, I put up stuff just because I'm 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 
it's not, I want to say retweet, but it's not retweeting. What is it? Reblogging? <laughs> no, what the language is over there. I just because I find it interesting. I'm you know reblogging somebody else's stuff, but you know I don't I don't typically put up my own content over there. Um, I announce my somebody, fix. Uh, you know sometimes all at once because I forget. But I would like to point out something that happened with Facebook starting today. Um, you can no longer use third-party apps to post automatically to Facebook, which means um, if you had your Tumblr hooked up to automatically post to your Facebook, that's no longer working. That's also true for Twitter and for WordPress. If you're posting, if your WordPress was automatically posting to a personal wall timeline, it's no longer working. It will no, it will um, because of their new privacy security, not very helpful um, overkill. So if you want to share content from your Tumblr or your WordPress or your Twitter on Facebook, you're going to have to do it manually from now on. Just FYI. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Um, I mean, yeah, I can understand there were a bunch of third-party apps that were really abusing um, the posting on behalf of somebody. Um, and instead of just cutting off those apps, they just cut everything off. So, you know, Facebook, we don't, when we correct, we overcorrect because they could have, obviously the big social media platforms, ha- there's not, there's not fraud, privacy fraud going on there. People are having to sign in and hook that stuff up and they know it's happening. It's these apps that were the issue and yet they are just cutting the whole thing off, but whatever. Um, it's really annoying. Let me ask what the dropout rate is on bangs and stuff. Um, I will say I think the higher – this is just my experience, but my experience is that the higher the minimum word count, the higher the dropout rate. Um, and and that's, I think that's kind of understandable. Um, the biggest dropout rate I ever saw was on a 100K bang that I did. Um, I actually hit 100K. I just didn't. I just didn't finish the story. So I actually was one of the people who wound up dropping out because I didn't get the story finished. Um, but I, I think that they, they had, I, my guess would be they had like a 90% drop. Uh, but that was, you know, their minimum, the minimum was huge. And yeah, you had a year to do it, but it's still, that's for a first, first, they had a lot of people who'd never written 100K before signing up. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a rough, rough thing if you've never done it before. Um, so, um, but like I said, the higher the minimum, the minimum work count five thousand. You might see ninety percent of the people cross the finish line. Um, if it's if it's fifty k, it's hard. It's just it's uh, it's it's a guessing game. I have I have no idea how many people will cross the finish line on the Big Bang. So um, I'd be really happy with twenty five percent. Yeah, I would too. Um, so I'm I'm really you know. Uh, and I'll be excited for everybody who, who even if you know, even for people who don't cross the finish line, it just as they go wrote thirty thousand words and didn't quite finish it. I'm enthused for you too, even if you don't make it to the end and you don't post with us and stuff. I'm enthused that you got to write thirty thousand words. Um, so, um, well, most of the horror you know, does Facebook a lot, um, and we're all in the you know group together and doing our thing and I do post updates to Facebook a lot. That's why I mentioned it on the podcast because from now on it will be manual and it might be spotty because I'm my I'm spotty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
got to remember to cross post. Um, I also, if, if anybody's worried about signing up because they don't think they'll cross the finish line, don't don't worry about it in that regard. Um, the author sign up period is long, but it isn't that long. So, you know, sign up and try. And if you don't make it, don't worry about it. We don't have. So if you like, don't make it to you know, the um, the first draft, the rough draft is due uh, March fifteenth. March. Yeah. If you don't make it, you don't make it. Um, you know, the only the only thing I would be peeved about ever is if somebody made it to the art claim stage and somebody claimed art, made art for you, and then you backed out. I'd be a little peeved about that. Um, but not, like, so peeved that I would do horrible things to you. So um, just don't stress about it. Um, it's supposed to be fun and challenging and, and motivating and help find some inspiration and give you a new community of people to hang out with on a board and connect with. It's supposed to be a fun fandom thing, not a stressful strand- fandom thing. So um, if you if you want to try and you don't get there, um, then you didn't get there. There's no penalty. Just sign up and have a good time. Come hang out with us. Even if you even if you get there and you go, I just am not ready. I'm not going to be able to finish this story. You can still, you know, it, go through that journey. And if you just don't make it, you don't make it. But you'll be hanging out with us and supporting other people, and hopefully, it will be a good experience. I lost the chat room. Oh, there it is. You and your uh, multiple tabs. Jimmy. I, I need to like I need to shut tabs before um, I start the podcast, uh, <laughs> or maybe put the podcast in a different the chat in a different window so that I can see where it is. But yeah, I was I was doing some stuff earlier, and I, I have so many tabs open right now that I can't even tell what app they are. I'll just drag chat room down to the end. I uh, usually put um, I keep a single window open for the messenger for the squad chat um i usually put the chat room there so i can't really lose it <laughs> that's a good idea i need to i need to i need to put but the thing is and then what happens is i'm in the middle while we're in i go to look up something you know like find a story or look something up or look a piece of information and then i wind up with i guess i can sometimes open or people post links to story that's the devil is when i we get out of a a podcast, and I've got 15 story links open. I'm like, shit. So sometimes I come out of of the podcast with more links than I went into it with. So let's talk about Fix It. Let's get into it. Fix It. Fix did it. you listen to Fix the it. other podcast? I did. I was very entertained by uh, – we were, we, were, we were really focused the first – more, a little more than an hour on Fix It. And then I felt like it was, it was, I was laughing at us more than anything because we got a little random. <laughs> we were talking about figging and we had a really yeah, long that, conversation about figging. Figging, figging came up. Um, Vegetable Ninja featured prominently. Um, I gave myself a flashback. Told you not to Google it. <laughs> I knew what it was. We were telling other people not to Google it. <laughs> Oh yeah, pictures—the visual image that sinks into the brain. Um, 
But yeah, when we started getting on the vegetable ninja, that was hysterical. I had forgotten about that whole conversation, especially with the pineapple having it being a good weapon because it has a handle. Yeah. I don't know why I found that so funny the second time around, but I think I found it funnier the second time around than I did the first. Because <laughs> it's got a handle. <sighs> Obviously, it's a better handle if your pineapple is not ripe. Because the riper your pineapple is, the easier the leaves are to pull out. That's how you pick out a good one. Color and ease of leaf removal. Just saying. I am not the vegetable ninja. That's not a vegetable anyway. Okay. Okay. So we talked about different fandoms and why we're attracted to um, fixing them. Um, the Hobbit and Harry Potter featured prominently. We we hit NCIS a little bit and the Sentinel. And, of course, I have my annual, my quarterly bitch fest about... <laughs> Fandom, which we can skip this time. Um, and maybe, um, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, so, uh, how you want to do it? Um, well, I, I don't know. We could talk more about fix it tropes. We could talk about how to tell. I, I think maybe a good productive discussion to have. We've talked about it a little bit. Is the most common question I'm getting. Is and I don't know what questions and cures I'm getting, but um, is is this story a fix it? Um, and for the most part, I will say that's not my decision. That's your decision. That's the author's decision. And so, well, we could talk a little bit about kind of the anatomy of what we think, how to frame something as a fix it, or how to look at your plot and decide if it's a fix it. Because the most important thing is. Um, I've, in some cases, gotten a couple of pages of plot document and somebody asking, is this a fix-it? Well, I don't know, um, because they aren't telling me what their fix-it element is. They're telling me their plot. And some, oh, most times I can see what might be a fix-it element from my perspective, but my perspective isn't the important one. Um, the important perspective is what are you as the author know what you're fixing and it doesn't ha- it could be it could be epic it could be a huge sweeping change it could be something teeny tiny that ripples out and has a big effect so um, you're welcome to ask for my input um, on you know if, if you want but for the most part I'm gonna, I, I'm going to push back at the people who ask me that question and what I've done and say Tell me what your fix-it is. Tell me what it is you're fixing. You frame it. Don't ask me to frame it. Because it, it's not for me to decide if your story is a fix-it. I think the only thing I've told people no on is when the fix-it is entirely problems of their own creation. If you created the thing that you're fixing, it's not a fix-it. That's, I don't know. what That's something else. <laughs> That's, I did something horrible to a character in another story, and now I want to fix it. It doesn't quite meet the trope. Fix it is about fixing canon or changing canon to give you a – you're changing an undesirable element. So changing things that you, you created, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to fix huh. That doesn't seem to work to me, but no, maybe – No, I agree. I yeah. um, as somebody had asked once about anti-fix-it, and that doesn't work for me either. Um, the op- that's the opposite of the scene. So 
But again, we talked about this before too. It's all point of view. <laughs> it could anti-fix it might work if the point of view is that of the person who is destroying everything. But anyway, um, so framing. How do we talk about how to look at your idea and tell if it's a fix it? Um, Personally, I think that you have to, one, identify the candidate element you want to fix. And two, clearly have a plan on how to fix it. And if you can identify a candidate element that you want to fix and you have a method by which to fix it, then you have a fix it. <laughs> yes. But it and and the other thing I think is essential is that the fix it has to be a, a it is it's supposed to be the theme, right? Now it doesn't mean you have to be fixing something every chapter. Maybe that's one of the things that's confusing people is it doesn't mean you may make your change and it may be the grain of sand that you the the, the little tiny thing that you've done in the very in the prologue. It could be a little teeny tiny thing that you do, and then you just let those ripples happen for 75k and let me give you you an example go ahead okay no go okay 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 so in the book when harry leaves privet dry for the last time hedwig is in the cage right right she's in the cage okay in the movie she's flying free and she takes a curse for him I watched it on YouTube. I was shocked. I was like, why isn't she in the cage? He drops the cage. That, that's how she dies in the book. I thought, assumed that that's how they would kill her in the movie, but they didn't. Hedwig flies into a killing curse. Nope, what do you, rub, what do you know from me for? Because she was in the cage in the book, right? I'm not misremembering that. Sometimes I have read so much fan fiction, it just kind of blends together for me. I I think I think she's no, I think the nope is for for Azure. Um the um no I remember I okay. I remember the cage thing too. Okay, okay. So but in the movie I saw a clip on YouTube where she flip where she flies into a curse and takes a curse for Harry like a phoenix, but and then she falls and Harry screams and um that's it. But what if she was like a phoenix and she took that curse and she dropped and they all thought she was dead. But she isn't. She's a little chick. And she squirrels away somewhere um, until she grows up. Midway through the quest, Hedwig the Phoenix shows up. How does this change things? Yeah, and you, depending upon how you write it, that would, you might, the, the reader might even be aware of the fix until... You're halfway through your story. Maybe not halfway. Maybe a third of the way through your story. I mean, it's because it would be a surprise to Harry. I mean, you conceivably wouldn't be in Hedwig's point of view, but you could be. Um, what if Arabella Fig picked her up? Takes her back to her house. Puts her in a little cage. Takes care of her until she grows up. It might take her a little bit, maybe maybe around the time Ron loses his shit in October, Ron goes away and Hedwig appears.
this would be a huge ripple because suddenly Harry and Hermione are no longer isolated with limited methods of transportation. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a phoenix. And she's a phoenix. And he can also send her back to Arabella with a note saying, hey, could you, could you send us some food? Or, you know, just, you know, what, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it really opens up the the quest and um, it changes things drastically because Hedwig would be, not only is, is Hedwig alive, um, she would also be an infusion of really hope, really hopeful emotion in the tent. The Horcrux would have a hard time combating the pure magic of a phoenix. It could clear them up, clear out their heads, get them thinking. You could definitely yeah. shake them loose from their from their hopelessness and their grief, and give them a different. And this is just a you know it's a small moment in canon that changes everything. And then you can ripple it all the way out, you know, because suddenly Harry's not just, um, it's actually, it's it's almost, it's almost karmic. Because if you take the canon and portrayal of Dumbledore as the leader of the light with the phoenix and, and Hedwig's return as a phoenix, it takes Harry beyond the boy who lived and turns him into the leader of the light. She could save them from Malfoy Manor, and then Dobby wouldn't die. Yeah, yeah. She could make a. She could have a huge impact on how everything went down. Um, uh, in the seventh book. Yeah, but it's a really it's a small what if that turns into a major whoa. <laughs> Because I personally think that J.K. Rowling killed Hedwig because she was a plot hole. Um, Harry couldn't go off and be in secret in hiding when there was an owl that could find him wherever he went. And she didn't want to write Hedwig into the quest. Yeah. But it's dumb because Hedwig was smart. The whole series, she said, you know, that Hedwig was, wasn't like other owls, that she was smarter, that she understood Harry. So if Harry had told her, I need you to stay here with with Molly and Arthur, or I need you to stay here with Tonks, and don't come looking for me, and don't send me a letter, and I will come for you when I can, Hedwig would have stayed away. She wasn't dumb. Yeah, and I feel like that there were other ways she could have accomplished the same thing. Yeah, she could have accomplished it with anti with charms. Like Hermione could easily have researched a charm that would have prevented her Hedwig from finding Harry, um, or any owl from finding him. Actually, the whole owl thing was always a plot hole. She didn't need to kill Hedwig to plug that plot hole because the plot hole was still there. Right, because there any um, other owl? If Death Eaters had been smart, they just sent Harry a letter or a port key. Yeah, just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Just put a tracking charm on a bloody male owl and poof. Um, but there are there are so many ways to approach. And also I think one of the things that has worried some people is that fix it means fixing everything. Um, 
or that the fix has to result in something um, sort of universally positive. Um, Depending upon the kind of fix that you do, there's some fix that I don't see why you would employ them if you weren't going to get a good result. But, like, if you're doing, like, we've talked about time travel being the big fix it. It's the big, it's the big, biggest, kind of the biggest, you know, it's the biggest, you know, if, if, if Hedwig um, living is like, is like a a pebble in a pond, um, time travel is like a boulder, right? It is, right. It, it, it's not, and the size of the, of the device you're using, does not mean it's one's better than the other. That's not a, that's not an expression of worth. Um, But it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a more blunt approach to the fix. But when you do something like time travel, it would be actually realistic that not all time travel, not not everything they go back to fix, whoever it is, is going to go well. There might be some unintended bad consequences. So it doesn't mean, and because you fix one thing doesn't mean you have to fix everything. Um, and let's say you're going to fix something around, you know, the Atlantis expedition's um, preparation issue, that they're better prepared when they're out there, through whatever method you're going to approach that with. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to go perfectly for them once they get there. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to survive. Maybe you're employing the fix to save one person. Maybe you're making all these changes to the preparation to save one person. Maybe you're doing, maybe you want to save Peter Groden. I mean, only you can, only you as the author can speak to what it is you're trying to do and the method you're trying to go to get there. Now, your fix might be a pairing. Maybe you're just, you know, maybe it's you giving a bird at a, you know, queer baiting fandom, not the fandom, but a queer baiting show. And your fix is to get the characters. The characters, you know, chemistry together. Um, I tend to think, although I wouldn't like impose a rule on anybody, that if your fix is a pairing, that the the pairing and them getting together needs to be central to the story. Them getting together can't be incidental to the story because if the fix is the pairing, then that needs to be central to what you're doing as opposed to they happen to get together and then therefore to fix it doesn't quite gel in my mind, but I'm not going to be reading, um, you know, all the rough drafts and making sure that they qualify. And that's just not my, that's not my role in this. I'm trying to, you know, provide a challenge environment, not a, um, you know, whatever the hell that would be. <laughs> I just, No. Um, I just I don't I don't want to be the, I don't want to be in the position of judging somebody other people's content. So the author has to judge if they've come up with a fix it. But this just if somebody's asking my me my opinion. Um, my opinion is is if the fix that you're doing is a pairing, then the, the that relationship has to be, and and the them being in that relationship has to be the central part of the story. It can't be incidental to some other plot point. Um. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Weir sleeps in and misses the dial out. That would be hilarious. Um, so would locking her in a closet. Uh, just... <laughs> 
I don't yeah. know where she went. So I've told a couple people, and you can help try to come up with an example of this. One is where there's kind of a couple, and you know, it's funny, my brain is just blank tonight, but some fix-its work both directions, but sometimes you fix something and then you watch the changes ripple out in your story. Sometimes you change something and you watch those changes ripple out into your fix. Now, there have been a couple of examples people have given me, and I can't reveal other people's plot, that actually are both, um, that they fix something that ripples into a bigger fix. But sometimes you change something first, and then the fix comes at the end, or it's later in the story, or the fix may be the climax of the story. So um, the fix doesn't have to be obvious up front. You can just be making a change, and then let the fix manifest in how you handle the ripple effect of that change. Um, for some reason, you know, when I told somebody this, I I had examples of of that kind of story where somebody makes a change and it ripples out into the fix. But brain is just kind of blank tonight. Um, well, there are a couple actually that I can um, pinpoint where you make a change, and if you're smart about it as a writer. The ripple is is immense. Like, like if, for instance, Gibbs caught Tim and Ziva ignoring Tony during Dead Air. If he caught them in the act, that's a change in the canon um, event. How he chooses to respond to what they've done can either result in a fix-it or an immense canon diversion. Chooses not to punish Tim and Ziva. I see the divergent being that Tony immediately leaves NCIS because Gibbs doesn't have his back and he can't trust his partners in the field. What does he have left? But a right. fix it would be, to my mind, um, Ziva and Tim being punished and put in jail. <laughs> or at the very least fired. But I'm I like jail. <laughs> yeah. And actually I, I had talked to somebody about Dead Air that um about Dead Air specifically. Dead Air came up in a conversation with somebody. Um actually before um I thought t- started talking about doing this quantum bang and we were talking about can you call um like Tony getting hurt a fix it? Um, and I would say it depends if your fix it is that Tim and Ziva have consequences. And so that's again, where the perspective of the author means everything because if the, if you're writing a story where Tony gets hurt so that there are, and that there are, are real world repercussions of that, and that's your fix, um, fixing that, you know, the lack of reaction to that whole thing, then yes, it's a fix it. It may not be a happy circumstance for anybody, but I would call that like the spite fix it. Like some some stories you write and you fix because you're angry about something that happened in canon, and and they're super satisfying because they feel so spiteful. <laughs> I 
maybe that's a terrible thing to say, but you know, but it's true. That's kind of the way it feels. I find spite very motiva- motivating. Yeah, it is. But I have to say, after Dead Air, I had zero respect for either one of the characters. It it was gone. Yeah. I'm reading one of the questions. I saw that up in the chat. Sorry, I was typing. Um, but I don't actually consider a canon divergence not a fix-it. I just kind of... It can be or it can't be. I, it's, it's difficult for me to, to articulate what I'm... But for me, it's a different... Um, it's a different animal. Because, you know... At that point, at Canon Divergence, if Tony leaves NCIS because they're all assholes, he goes to Hawaii and has a beautiful sexcation with Steve McGarrett. That's a fix-it in my mind, but it's also a Canon Divergence. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful fix-it. But Tony leaving, even though it's Canon Divergent, could be a fix-it. Again, depending upon your – it's a fix-it for Tony. It certainly is. So – Perspective is everything when determining if something is a fix-it, and it's also um, depends upon your point of view. If your point of view character is Gibbs, Tony Levy might not feel much like much of a fix-it, but again, that's up to you to decide. Is it a fix-it because the reader is going to find it satisfying? Writer is going to find it satisfying? I mean, you got to figure out what your fix-it angle is, and point of view comes in to fix it. Because if you're a big fan of Imhotep, okay, a fix-it for him is going to look very different than it would for Rick and Evie, right? It's just going to be different. Right. Well, first, that bitch would have actually loved him. Um, <laughs> there's, there's that. An Moon would have not run off and left him to fall into a chasm filled with burning dead people. But then on the other side of it, he wouldn't have asked her to if he had really loved her. He would not have put her life at risk because it really speaks to Eve, um, Evie and um, Rick's characters that she was determined to get out there. And he was just as determined to tell her, no, you need to stay away, stay back, stay away. And she didn't. And they didn't, that's devotion. And it didn't exist between the other two. So you would have to do some serious rewriting. But a fix-it for him might result in so somebody might look at a care at a at a at a at a story where let's say Evie and and Rick die um, as not a fix-it. But again, that depends upon the point of view. I mean, an MCU fix-it for Clint Barton looks way different than an MCU fix-it for Loki. <laughs> Just saying. I agree. <laughs> so there are a lot of fixes written for Loki, okay? But if somebody is a Clint Barton fan, they're probably not going to see those stories in the same light, which is why it's important that, that 
that the author understand their own fix-it mechanics and what character they're fixing things for. Um, and what that method is and how it manifests in the story. So um, I can look at a plot idea and tell somebody what the fix it looks like to me, but it's definitely not even, that's not my call. You know what would be a really interesting fix it for the mummy? Evie saved Imhotep. Threesome for the win. <laughs> I actually, I was thinking more along the artist bay, but I'm not opposed. <laughs> uh, artist bay, that'd be tough because artist bay has spent his whole life trying to keep Imhotep from being. Um, well, now he has to spend the had... rest of his life protecting Imhotep and keeping Imhotep on the straight and narrow, <laughs> or at least the narrow. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot easier to keep you behaving if I keep you sexed up. So come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. The problem with that movie is there was just too much hotness in it, right? Imhotep and, I mean, and, and Artist Bay where it's just like, I, I just stopped seeing anybody else. <laughs> it's like the, those, those two, and those two were on opposite sides. I was like at the point I'm like I don't care what's going on with Rick and Evie. I'm just I'm just paying attention to those two. <laughs> I said I actually enjoyed the Mummy movies, but um, where um, they have a complex villain, which makes him relatable, um, and that's a good thing. That's actually a good thing. So. Yeah, Lady Holder and I have very different opinions about that. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Sarah name a knock to the moon. She was an asshole. Yeah. I mean, from the start off. From yeah. the get-go, she was an asshole, you know, so. It actually made you wonder why he was ever, it kind of felt like it was more obsession than it ever was love on his side because mm-hmm. she just, there was nothing about her to really recommend her from what you, we don't really see much about her until the second movie. But once you do know, start finding out some of her history, it's not very, it's like, why did he fall for her? Why wasn't he following for the falling for the Pharaoh's daughter? And why wasn't he falling for the you know who, who Evie was in in the past in her past life? So, right. Um, because the Knox and the Moon was just not. Um, she was. I have to, yeah. She was forbidden, but I would have to think the Pharaoh's daughter would be forbidden too. Actually, so I I can't think it was good for his junk either direction. But at least the Pharaoh's daughter had you know things to recommend her. Um, Nefertiri, thank you. I could, I, I couldn't remember what, uh, what her name Maybe was. Maybe he that. tried that and she said no. Maybe. Or maybe the pharaoh said no. She says, "Okay, if I can't have your daughter, I'm gonna bang your wife." <laughs> Rude much? 
<laughs> that seems like he was as he you were really that 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 actually seems like he when you phrase it like that it was like it seemed like his issue his boner was really for the pharaoh. So, <laughs> um, that probably would have been a safer um, conquest for him to make. Yeah, much safer. I'm gonna go on record, dudes, and tell you that no, whatever she was, wife, concubine, um, that no piece of ass is worth what uh, Imhotep had to go through. <laughs> I I think that Nox in the Moon was she may have been a concubine. She never may have made it to wife, but didn't he say after that fight that she was his future wife or something like that? I thought that's what I thought that was. It was strongly implied that they were. I thought it was implied in the movie that they were getting married, but maybe not. Maybe not. Which could have explained. Lady Horse, they might have been waiting for a pregnancy. Um, which is true, and could have also explained why he had her painted in gold to ensure that if she did get knocked up, that it was his. Yeah. He wouldn't know if anybody else touched her. I actually hate that turn of phrase. <laughs> Plowing the field? Um, yeah. 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 Um if, if it's all about perception, if you couldn't spin most most stories into looking like, it, it, into being able to say they were a fix-it. And I'm sure you could spin a good tale about why almost any story could be a fix-it for something. Um, I know I wouldn't call, I would call definitely some of my stories have that kind of fix-it theme on something that is significant and central to the story. And other stories, not so much. Like, um, like De Novo is a big fix-it. That fix-it is very central to the theme. Um, the more AU something gets, the less fix-it angle it is. Um, like, a lot of stuff I've written, actually, outside of, outside of pairing. There's just not there's not a fix it isn't isn't really a central theme. Um if found please return, I would say as a fix it is a central theme in the sense of, of fixing Tony's family issues and that whole thing and also fix it from the leaving NCIS angle. Um fix it there's also there's several fix it elements in that. Um but other stories, you know, memories is a fix it. Um To say that one isn't, but actually, I immediately especially something wasn't a fix it, and then I immediately went, okay, well, I thought I see the big fix it in that one. Um, Death of Silence is a fix it. That was a that was a like emergency isn't really a fix it. Not outside of central pairing. Not outside outside of the pairing. I'll consider it an alternate universe. Yeah, it's. It's so divorced from canon that it, if you were to look at it as a fix-it, like a, a way to get Tony out of NCIS, it is a very convoluted route to go to achieve that purpose. There are ways to get him out that would be more 
I mean, you, I mean, I, I could spin a yarn about why it has a fixed angle, but like I said, that's about the only outside of pairing and him leaving. That's about the only two, you know, um, fixed angles for me in that story. But whereas the pairing is central, I didn't. That's not really even really why I wrote that story. So it's not the way I wouldn't. I wouldn't position it that way. And, and the, like I said, the Tony leaving thing. Um, like I said, it's such a convoluted um, path to that that it's. It, it, I, I've done better jobs of Tony leaving fix it than that. Um, Slither and Black is definitely a fix it. Um, I'm never going to have a character time travel where there's not something being fixed. That would be the pointless time travel, which is my big pet peeve with time travel is time travel that serves no point. I mean, if you're going to send somebody back in time, do something with it. Don't just have them do nothing. <laughs> it's more like, like well, pet- since we're here. I got some things I want to talk about. <laughs> things I'd like to do. <laughs> People I'd like to kill. <laughs> when did Kristen die? That was in um uh the episode where he died. I want to say that season 6. Um the episode was that South by Southwest, I think. I think is what that episode was called. Um, it is called South by Southwest, and it is my, my, it's 2009. Thank you. The year, what season six, episode 17. No, Crispian didn't die in that. It's not, his, it's not Crispian. It's um, um, Clive died in that episode. Crispian is Clive's son. So, at least I think that's what you're asking. You might have been asking about a completely different Crispin. Rogue says, why go back in time if you're not going to fix anything? That's just stupid. It is stupid, but you'd be amazed at how many people like to start over on Harry Potter um, and have him grow up in a very different circumstance and then have every single event in the first year happen just as it did in the book. Which literally makes no sense. Yeah, I read I read a whole bunch of um my my dislike of time travel started with reading a bunch of stories where someone was accidentally flung back in time. And they went back in time and then they just spent the whole story trying not to let anything change. And it was just so frustrating. I mean, I was like, why would I want to read this? I mean, they're there. Do something. Do something epic. Exactly. Why? I mean, I understand why sometimes TV shows have a time travel episode where they're trying not to change the timeline. I get it. But if you're going to write fan fiction and you're going to you're you're putting people back in time. Why are you putting them back there just to have nothing be different? It, it just confuses me. Unless they're not going to be in the past for very long. I mean, you could do. I mean, it, unless it's a unless it's a minor part of your plot. 
like they learned something in the past that affects them when they wind up back in the future. But that's not employing time travel for the sake of, of going back in time. That's like employing it as a means of, you know, of facilitating something in the present. And so that'd be a different device. But if, if your character is going to time travel um, and, and that's central to your story, they just do something with it. There was also, but there was also time travel in Stargate where when they hid that DPM out in the desert and they were very careful not to let anything change or as careful as they could. If anybody in the course of any of this has questions about fix-its or whatever, just throw them out there. I may have missed something. If I missed a question, let me know. But please don't ask something specific to your bang, to your proposed bang in public. Yeah. Like phrase it so that it doesn't match up with what your bang idea will be, so you won't be identifiable during the artist check, um, claim, right? Yeah. Oh, pardon yeah. me. <clears throat> Did you guys hear that? Sorry. Not I had really. a pickle. Okay. You had a pickle. I had a, I had a pickle. Yeah. It gave me a burp. Me and Dill. I mean, yeah. Somebody asked me about gives the me hiccups. Go ahead. Somebody asked me about the secrecy thing. I think most things ask that you not post details about your story publicly ahead of time. Uh, although some pub, the the plot reveal is we're just um, I think we just didn't want we wanted to make sure that you know artists were picking. We don't want anybody to feel like people were picking stories based upon who wrote the story for the art. Because the art claims, you know, it's not it's not anonymous if people know what stories were written by who. So, but of course, the most, the most important thing is that you be able to write your story. And if, you know, you do what you got to do, you do you, you do what you got to do. But I'm, I, you know, I would, I would rather talk to you in private about a specific plot point than, um, or specific plot idea, not a point, then, you know. And obviously you could have your beta or your alpha, whatever you deploy during your writing stage. Um, we're not asking you to keep it a secret from your beta because obviously you're going to have to get it baited um, and get an alpha read. Or if you need, you know, a bouncing partner and you have one already on hand, that's fine. We're talking about public. So we just don't want there to be um, – sometimes there's drama – attached to this whole art thing that I wasn't aware of, but Jill explained to me. And we're just trying to avoid drama and hurt feelings. So that, that's all it boils down to, right? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things I'm committed to is that everybody who submits a story for the art claiming is going to get art. So that's going to happen somehow. You're going to, you know, so, but there it can be a whole big drama thing that could have, has actually happened in bangs over the years with art claims and we just want that to just want that to happen. So um, I am signed up as an artist and my commitment is I'm not even because I will know all these stories and my commitment is that I'm not going to claim a story for the first 10 minutes. So um, it may be even longer because I'm going to be busy. So <laughs> either that or I will, or I will employ a proxy to claim for me after 10 or 15 minutes are up. So um but it's just, I just want to be sure that it's fair and that people don't think that, you know, 
um, that that you know we're trying to play favorites with anybody. Just try to keep it level. That's why we're asking for people to try to keep it. But wh- whatever your writing circle is, you know, and you need to talk to them about your story, you know, do that. I'm not trying to cut you, trying to cut anybody off the knees. Secrecy thing. Just you know. Um, oh, I have a if. If even half if even half cross the finish line or even twenty five percent based upon the way the numbers are stacked up right now, the art we're gonna have we're gonna have more than one round of art claiming. So yeah, we have a lot more author authors than artists. So, um, but yeah, so there there will be opportunities to change more to claim more than one. Um, and any that aren't claimed, you know, we'll we'll have we have some artists lined up to to do the ones that don't get claimed in the major art claim. And it's, it's one of those things people are, people are claiming based upon, will be claiming based upon it. And this is the thing. They'll be claiming based upon fandom pairing and summary. That's what, that's what they're going to be claiming based on. And so they're going to, you know, and sometimes people have like five things they want to claim and we start with one and then go to another round. And, you might have been somebody's, you know, it's just one of those things that summaries are a weird thing to pick to pick the story you're going to read and do art for. You don't know anything else other than that. And pairing, obscure fandoms and obscure pairings um, might just be harder to match up, but they will get matched up. Something will happen. So nobody stress about the art claim, but that's why we have the whole try to keep it, not talk about it in public thing is because... Um, we just don't want people to know going in who's who's is what. We make it a big surprise. And I think it'll be a cool reveal when we reveal who's writing what. I think it'll be fun. Um, okay, so somebody asked um, if if the story is a shopping trip for Harry to go get everything he wanted when he first got to die again, will that be a fix it? Um, potentially. Um, if that's something that's really bothered you, as as, as, as bothered the, the the writer, is Harry's deprivation. Um, writing a scene, you know, writing a story, whether it's a short story or a long story or whatever, where where that you know deprivation issues are addressed, would definitely be a fix it. So, but I mean, I again, in the 50k, you would have to resonate that shopping trip through out your story. I, I would assume. Um, so there are a couple ways you could do that. He could buy something special, um, yeah. something that really impacts his life at Hogwarts. One of the more interesting stories I ever read, and I don't, please don't ask me for the title because I will never remember it in a million years, but Willow's in the chat room, right? Willow might. <laughs> um, Harry goes to Diagon Alley, and I think it might have been third year or not. Um, I can't remember. And he goes into this really obscure-looking shop, and he picks up this book, and it has Potter written on it. And so he buys it. And it's basically a grimoire, but it takes him down a very interesting path. And it's really kind of like something that remember that show Friday the 13th where they had all those objects they were trying to take out of the world because they were dangerous they'd have been looking for this book if they'd known it existed 
Oh, yeah. like the 13th warehouse or something? Yeah, it would it would definitely have been the warehouse. Warehouse 13. Warehouse 13. Warehouse 13. It would have definitely been the warehouse if they'd known about it. And so at the end of the story, after Harry has accomplished all of the book six he needs to accomplish, the book goes back to the store. And the store reappears on Diagon Alley to wait for somebody else to buy the book. Oh, wow. I've never read the story. And it was it was really interesting. I think it was Jen. It might have been Harry Hermione. It definitely wasn't Harry or Jenny because I don't read that shit. Um, it might have been Harry Draco. Uh, but it was basically, yeah, it, basically this book was kind of like something that definitely should have been put in Warehouse 13. And the man behind the counter was being punished for something. And it was his job to sell the book. Huh. He'd been doing it for like a thousand years. See, Raven. Thank you, Raven. Is that it? Let me check. Let me check. Raven got got found us the link. Let's see. It's nineteen thousand words. It is a third year story. Um, it's called the Potter Family Grimoire by Disobedience Writer, and it's on fanfiction.net. Um, and it's just a really creepy, interesting, interesting little fic. I don't remember all the details, so I can't give you any warnings or pairings. Uh, That's an interesting way of having the, the, um, a shopping trip lead to a fix. But if you wanted, like, let's say the issue of deprivation was the fix it and and the shopping is sort of sort of emblematic of 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 that fix um if you wanted to ripple that into a story um you you would have to because i mean a shopping trip is a little bit more slice of life than like plot driven novel length story um but you could have that be kind of like um like mirror that that theme of the deprivation issues in Harry's life being addressed um, throughout a story where he's kind of coming into his own. So you have the shopping trip as kind of like your more obvious thing. And then you could bring people into his life who kind of nurture him more. And, and that addresses the deprivation. And you would just keep mirroring that, that, that shopping trip in a way, but it's not shopping, but it's Harry coming into the things he needs in a story, but you would have to have, you know, you'd have to have mileposts. You have to have plot points to pull that along. There is a rape off screen in this fic. I've forgotten about that. Um, but it's, um, it's, it is off screen and, um, it is terribly off putting. Um, but it's a great story and it's, but the, but the plot device of the book is really interesting. Um, and that's what I remember most about this fic It is the book. And if you did a shopping trip fic where Harry goes to the to Diagon Alley and buys um, um, something interesting during his um, during his little trip to get all the things that he should have gotten uh, because he's a human being, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you could give him something a little more interesting, like maybe he buys a snake, or maybe a snake comes home with him. 
yeah, I agree. There's, there's something, there's something you can start. There's fixing something there doing either. If you want to make the shopping itself a fix it, you'd have to kind of, it would have to be sort of emblematic of something that you're going to echo throughout the story. Um, but the easier way to make that be a fix it fix is to have that shopping trip, give him a bunch of essentials in some way or one essential that makes a big difference in his life and then follow that through. Like I have my pocket guardian. He goes to the guy on alley and goes shopping and he comes home with a gripping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oops. That went differently than I expected. I will, you know, one thing I just kind of want to mention is sometimes you can twist, you can twist ideas into being something else. Um, that backfires on me all the time. If, and I'm not speaking specifically to the person who asked this question because I don't know what their intention was in asking that question. But if an author is intending to write a slice of life story and someone else tells you how you could twist that slice of life story to be fit a theme or something else or whatever it is, um, like you had an idea for a story, but it's not a sentinel story. And then the sentinel challenge came up. And so you twisted your idea to be a sentinel story. Some times that works. I don't, from my experience, that doesn't often work well for me personally. Um, often my enthusiasm for the story goes down when I twist it far off of what my original intent was. Um, so if I intended to write 5,000 word slice of life, like a little thicklet or something like that. And I twisted that into a 50,000 word fix it fix. For me, it wouldn't, it, it, it might wind up being really unsatisfying because it wasn't what I had originally intended when I conceived that idea. Um, and I often, when I've tried to do that are the stories I have the hardest time executing on is those where I've tried to adapt another plot to fit a different challenge. I know some people. I can't speak for everybody in that in that regard. Um, so it's just my personal experience with this. Is that every time I've tried to take an existing idea and adapt it, it has backfired on me. Um, I um, unless I hated the idea. The only time it happened is if I hated the idea as it was, and a challenge gave that idea clarity and allowed me to pull it into better focus. That's fine. But if I take an idea I like and then twist it to be something else, I, I usually don't wind up liking it. So that's just – so I would cost if you – if you can't find a fix-it angle and someone else kind of is helping you try to find a fix-it angle on an idea, maybe just try a different idea. Because you may not have intended that idea to be a fix-it. That's just – that's just you know, I want to throw that out there. Um I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Kira, where you've kind of adapted or twisted an idea to fit a theme or something, and it it didn't work as well for you as maybe the original I, concept was. But I think that that might have been the problem that I have with synthetic because I originally um, conceived that as original fic and then set it aside because I wasn't quite sure of the world building, and then tried to build it into fan fiction, only to realize halfway through the fic that I was just wasting that idea on fandom characters that I was totally destroying. Um, and I, just, well, I was very pissed at myself. <laughs> it was very annoying.
yeah, that's it's yeah. just really frustrating when when. And also, yeah. I would say, yeah, I would say also that the subtle body. Um, I uh, I'm a romance writer, and trying to keep the romance out of that fic as a central theme, pattering it after one uh, after trying to fuse one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen in my life was probably not a good idea. Who the hell? Who the hell? Let me think. That I could write an urban fantasy based on the Lady Hawk. All y'all, just all y'all. We're just a bunch of enablers. I don't say, um, <laughs> and, but that's one of those things that you oftentimes you don't see until the end. You know, you don't see until it's done. Where you go, what was I thinking? Trying to make a romantic movie, urban fantasy. Um, that's why that fiction so short. I had to cut it off, otherwise it would have turned into a full romance, and I would have failed the challenge, the urban fantasy part. But I still fucking failed the word count part. This is just really annoying. And that's what that's what happens to me when I've tried to adapt an idea into a challenge it didn't fit in. Um, is a, a lot of times if I if I cross the finish line with it, I just kind of wind up shaking my head, going, "That wasn't what I intended at all," or I've had to blow the word count out to get there, or whatever. And sometimes I like the story anyway, and sometimes I'm not as happy with it. But whatever 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 happens, I just would if you're struggling to find the fix it angle, um, and someone else is kind of and you're having to wrestle into a fix it box maybe try a different sometimes another perspective is good because somebody else can look at your idea and go oh i see six fix it angles in what you've just told me and then it helps give you clarity to your own process but if they're telling you if they're if they're having to tell you what you can change to put in a fix it um it may be just try to try a different idea i don't know it's just trying to adapt an idea for a challenge. Although it can be very said, frustrating. It is really easy to, a lot of what fan fiction writers do is fix stuff. The best TV, some of the best TV shows on the air have tiny fandoms for a reason. There wasn't anything for us to fix. It's like that's fan fiction is more like an homage to the show than you know, yeah. That. If I ever wrote Star Farscape fan fiction, which I won't, because it's perfect, it'd be a love letter. I mean, it'd be like, I love you guys so much. <laughs> Here, have some awesome <laughs> sex. Is there any damn thing needs to be fixed there? Now, if they put that ridiculous ass movie out, there would have been. For fuck's sake. I read the movie treatment, and in this stupid Farscape movie that they proposed, John and Aaron left their son, Little Dargo, on Earth for him to grow up without them. Feel as betrayed as I do right now. That's just crazy talk. Like, and the thing I is, was like, if, no. they had done, if they had done that, Kira would have been writing Fix It Fix for that shit. I sure as hell would have been. Because whoever suggested that shit would have got a face full of Aaron's fit. She birthed that baby in the middle of a battle. Strapped it to her chest and picked up her gun. She's not leaving her baby on Earth. She doesn't even like her. What the fuck? You know some dumbass man wrote that shit. Anyways. 
if that had happened, I'd have been all up in Farscape writing, um, uh, fix it. I think Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is an AU, personally. Yes, it does fix a lot of canon, but that's, con- that's um, coincidental. Um, I actually wrote the bulk of um, that story when I was very young, before book six even came out. And I had to, of course, I reworked it when I published it on my site and changed it to include elements that, you know, happened in book six and book seven, but um, I would consider it an AU instead of a fix it. <laughs> Granted, yes, anything that keeps Hermione from marrying Ron is, is automatically a fix it, but um, this, the, the central elements of Harry Potter and the soulmate bond are so departed from canon that I would not call it a fix-it. Any more than I would call courting Hermione Granger a fix-it. I would call Darkly Lowell a fix-it. I honestly wouldn't consider any of my Sentinel Harry Potters a fix-it because of the Sentinel element. Um, being, you know, just so much alternate universe there, um, and that being the central theme. Um, I think that the first War Mages book is uh, is a fix-it. Well, the whole point Um, of a fix-it is to fix a canon element. But Harry was removed from the Dursleys so early in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I just don't think it qualifies. But that's my opinion. You could think entirely differently about it. Birth of the Serpent King is yeah. a canon virgin. Yeah, there are some fixes that have no canon. In, I would call them fixes that have almost no canon at all because the fixit is getting your character away from their canon circumstance. But their background, the background that leads to the fix that is taking them out of their canon circumstance is all about canon. So um, there has to be an element of canon for there to be something to fix, which is why, like, if somebody asked me would a high school AU be a fix it, I'd be like, not unless it was a school, a show about high school. Um, but if you're taking the cast of NCIS and, you know, Gibbs is a senior and Tony's a junior and, you know, Gibbs, you know, Tony's in the, is, is on the football team and McGee's in the mathletes or something. I mean, that, no, there's, that, that is not a fix it. I don't know what that's. That's an alternate reality, alternate setting, alternate universe. It's alternate something. But when you obliterate canon completely, there's nothing to fix. If all you've got are canon characters left and there's no canon setting, no canon background, you can't do a fix-it with that setup. Unless your total fix-it, and I, this is, the reason why I haven't excluded that kind of thing from the challenge entirely is because your fix-it could be the pairing, but then the pairing needs to be central, and the development of the relationship would have to be central to the story. So, um, What are you doing? Oh, sorry, I was looking through my nail polish. I was looking through my oh, nail polish. I'm sorry. It, it, it um, sounded like you were reading a book. I was like, is she reading? Is she like flipping really big pages or something? What is she doing? <laughs> is this? Is she researching? Um, I was looking somebody, through my base coat. 
my apologies. <laughs> Somebody just asked me to ask me if I would consider the first book of um, the For You series. If I'd forget, if I'd consider all, oh, I'll forgive um, a fix it. Um, story has always felt like a fix it to me. So yes, I'm gonna say yes because it's always felt like a fix it. But I have to actually, it, it is such a, 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 it's like going back to the beginning before before we ever see Tony at NCIS and altering things for him dramatically. And in that sense, it is. I think that's why it feels like a fix it to me is because the dysfunction that Kate that he developed at NCIS will never occur because of the changes that occur at the beginning of that story. Um, and so that would be a case of where you make a change and the change ripples out into a fix. Because the fix wasn't Ethan coming to see Tony. That's not the fix it because Ethan and Tony's relationship isn't canon. That is um, my invention. So that can't be the fix it. The fix is what happens as a result of the change I made. So that would be an example of make a change and then that ripples out into the fix. Um, I don't even understand that question. Yeah, exactly, Ellie. Um, and I made, I kind of made a little joke about the fix in the story, which is where um, he's actually musing when he goes goes back to work after spending time with his relatives. He is thinking about his own pattern of behavior when he's hurt and how if he hadn't had that intervention and spent time with his family, that he would have gotten drunk and overshared at Gibbs' house and probably developed an unhealthy attachment to Gibbs. And I kind of made a little bit of a joke in for, for the reader, not in Tony's own mind, but for the reader, it was kind of a joke for the reader, where he's speculating that if he hadn't um, – had that that change that but that things hadn't gone differently after the wedding the wedding that wasn't that he would have developed an unhealthy relationship with Gibbs and he was thinking about that and that was kind of a a, a nod to what I was um, accomplishing with that um, because for where that that direction of that story is going um, Tony has to be in a better place emotionally uh, he can't have all those that dysfunction he was in. By the time the show started, his relationship with Gibb was already dysfunctional. So, um, so yes, I consider it a fix. It. It's always felt like a fix it to me, even though it's a pre where it is at, at the point that you, you guys see it. It is a pre-series story. Um, by the time it gets into the canon timeline, he, he, things are going to be so fixed for him. He's not going to. He's not going to be recognizable. So. Yeah, to me, it's a fix it. Other people might not see it that way, but again, this is where it comes down to author perception is very important, and that the author be able to articulate why something is a fix it or not, and what their fix it element is, and how it how it is um, employed in the story. Because, like I said, some people won't think. Some people might have heard what Kira said and think that. Um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is definitely a fix-it. But what ultimately would matter if Kira were signing up with a story like that for this challenge is that is whether or not she thinks it's a fix-it. And for her, it isn't. So it's not one that she would, not an idea that she would go with in some challenge like this. And that's, no, I, 
I think my go-to um, set will always be time travel. Because <laughs> I like my characters to be really knowledgeable and have a lot of weapons at their disposal, and I think knowledge is the best weapon. <laughs> yeah. Well, in some fandoms, in some fandoms, if I were doing a fix that I would, I would want to go to time travel. Harry Potter, I would definitely want to do time travel. Um, and maybe even in a sci-fi fandom, I would want to do time. I think if I did The Hobbit, I'd want to do time travel too. If I were trying to do a fix it there. Um, but you know, I also write a lot of contemporary crime drama fandom, so there's just not a lot of time travel happening. Um, yeah, Iterum is a fix-it. Definitely. I'm just not going to get time travel in an NCIS story, so I, um, the fix-it in the fandom like that, probably, I mean, if you can figure out how to do time travel in NCIS, you, go for it. I encourage you. Uh, I, it, my brain you can do it. Realistically, in, in my head, is my first inclination is if I want Tony Denozo to travel, then Tony Denozo needs to get recruited by the by Stargate Command. You have been yeah, recruited gotta, by the gotta, Starfleet Armada. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, wrong you, fandom. <laughs> you <laughs> definitely got to introduce a um, sci-fi fandom, but you could you could do a Lost Starfighter fusion fusion. I mean, I, uh-huh. I'd read that. I read, I'd, I'd read the fuck out of that. There's gonna be a new movie. I'm on the fence about it. Is I don't there? know. Yeah. Some things don't need to be remade. It isn't going to be a remake, but more like a continuation. And the Some creator don't need those either. has promised to be very respectful of the canon. And I'm like, I'm going to be watching you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching. And I'm not the only one either. <laughs> You're fucking with my childhood. Anybody else? play Nintendo games really, really well for the sole purpose of catching that dude's attention when they were little? Because I did. I wanted to be a starfighter. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't any good at at video games. I got better at video games when I got older, which is probably weird, but there you have it. Pro tip. Never put glitter on your fingernails. I know glitter polish is pretty, and it also covers up a multitude of mistakes, but it is a bitch to get off your fingernails. It is the it is it is rough to get glitter polish off. Anyways, I'm not actually painting my nails. I was just um, taking off polish, and then I realized I didn't know where my um, uh, no polish was, and I don't walk around with naked nails, so I didn't know where my base coat was. But I found my base coat. But I use a, um, I have a nail light, so I wouldn't do that during the podcast because <laughs> it's loud and you guys would hear it. <laughs> That's the only reason I wouldn't do it during the podcast. Yeah, what's that beeping? <laughs> you hear nothing. Shh. <clears throat> Yeah, my when um, my, I was getting night, my sister, while we were on the podcast, my sister was coming in and out from going to the grocery store, and she's been really quiet from the um, going to the grocery store. But um, every time the door opens and closes, the alarm panel beeps, and I'm like, somebody's eventually going to ask, what is that beeping in the background? And it was her coming in and out, <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it wasn't we're that unloading the car. Unless you're actually dying. Okay, I'll go How back do you question. track um, your fix-it ripples? 
Ellie asks in the chat room. Yeah. I just, uh, for me, for mostly it's just, it's not so much I don't, hmm, not that I keep track of them, um, but it's more as I work through the progression of, okay, okay, this is the thing. I tend to, when I make a change, I tend to assume the slate is wiped clean. And as opposed to, okay, that's not a good way to explain it. If I assume that everything is different and then figure out what would happen next, then I can bring in the elements that make sense. If you keep all the elements and then you just try to figure out which ones have changed, I find you more likely to miss something obvious. You know, like you... You think that um, I'm trying to think of an example of um, where, okay, so like let's say that, um, let's say that uh, Tony and Gibbs are together when they're a couple. Highly inappropriate, folks. But let's say, let's go with that setup. Tony and Gibbs are a couple when Gibbs is blown up, okay? If you wipe the slate clean at that point, okay, and you assume that nothing proceeds the way it did in canon, and then you build out the ripples and some things, and you look at what happened in canon and go, well, that makes sense to include, and that doesn't. Okay, so you just assume nothing happened, and then you build back in what makes sense as you're building out a logical progression of events. You're more likely to be logically consistent with that method than assuming canon happens apace with that setup and figuring out isolated incidents that are going to be different because it just, it just doesn't make sense for a lot of the stuff that happened with Gibbs leaving. I mean, like if you were to jump forward in time and Gibbs left and Tony is running the team and he's dealing with disrespect from his teammates, but the difference is suddenly Gibbs remembers him and comes back. There's a lot of little things in there that don't gel because it doesn't make sense if Tony was in a relationship why he would have put up with all of that stuff why he would have let Gibbs just walk away. You know, if you don't, you've got to show, you've got to, you've got to show how that ripple happens. Does that make sense? It does. You just got to, you just got to, when you make a change, you've got to obliterate, drop, drop any of your expectations, wipe the slate clean, and then figure out some stuff will still happen, but it's better to add them in as you're considering what would happen than to selectively pull things out that you think might not happen because you're going to miss things that are glaringly obvious wouldn't have happened. So it's easier just, and that's how I work it, is I just assume nothing happened from that point on that's canon and then to figure out what comes back in. Like when I was writing the Alpha of Atlantis, which is where it's in the emergence verse, but it kind of stands on its own. Um, because there's no um, there's no um, contact with Earth. Okay, there are things that just could not possibly happen the same way if John is like a forty ton dragon. It just it just doesn't make any sense. So 
I had to look at every every episode of that season and go, well, how would this have gone down? Well, some episodes were just going to be dramatically different from the jump. Like that episode with the race, they got trapped on that planet with that race um, that had been in that crash ship. That was over <laughs> like in a heart. That was that was over in a heartbeat, and nobody died because John just shifted and stepped on him. Um, and then and then it was done, right? So it was like it was like low drama. There was like there was not much there with that episode. And then other times it's it's just as it would be very much like the episode because if John's trapped in space, if he's on, if he's in a puddle jumper in space, well, being a dragon doesn't help him at all in space. It's actually detrimental to his crewmates if he were to get dragony in a puddle jumper. So, but what if John had even um, gotten on the puddle jumper with that thing, if he could turn into a dragon, wouldn't well, he have shifted no, it, to shape the moment exactly, he, he would never. Yeah, he never would have. So it's just a case that you you just assume that nothing happened and then look at every episode in canon and go, okay, well, would that have happened at all if John's a dragon? And some things, no, they didn't happen at all. If John's immune to disease and stuff, that whole episode with the um, – with anything related to disease, the, none, none of that was going to affect him. So that everything just plays out a little bit differently. And if you assume that it didn't happen and then figure out what parts make sense or, you know. But when you start trying to assume everything did happen and you just take out the obvious pieces that don't make sense, you're going to miss all the little changes. I hope that helped. Uh, there's a time travel theory that says that um, basically that um, alternate universes, different dimensions, multi-dimensions are created based on decisions. If you turn left here, you create another path in time. And in another timeline, in another dimension, you turn right. And in another dimension, you went forward. And in these events, your path is completely altered. That every decision you make creates a divergent path. If you think about a fix-it like that, that your character takes a turn and what happens in front of them has the potential to be entirely different than what it did when they turned right in canon. Go back to um, the movie Sliding Doors, which I highly recommend that you watch, even though it's got Gwyneth Paltrow in it, um, who I can't stand. Um, uh, Sliding Doors is about in one alternate, in, in one version of her life, she misses the train. And in another version of her life, she gets on the train and the movie splits and you get to watch both timelines based on whether or not she got through the doors of the train. I highly recommend you watch it. Because I think it's a, it, it, it's, the storytelling in that movie is practically a master class on what it means to change a small event and have it ripple out in front of your character. It's, it, it's ex, ex, exceptional for that. 
Oh, um, so to the question about how you track ripples, part of the part it occurred to me there is an actual tracking part of this, is that um, that's part of for me the timeline is working through if you have the Canon timeline and your own timeline. We talked about was it the last was it just the other day when we talked about having your mm-hmm. own timeline versus the Canon timeline and. That that actually will help you if you maintain the two tam- timelines is managing where the ripples are happening because as you're changing things, things in the world, in your canon world, are still happening. So depending on what kind of world you have, some events are still going to occur no matter what you've changed. So you need to understand that's an external forces versus, you know, what things your character – somebody um, – I don't even remember the context. But somebody pushed on something about, well, you know, wouldn't this something have changed for so and so when you did this? And it was like, why? They aren't even they aren't even connected at that point in the story. They don't even know about each other. So the canon events from characters from you know from on the other side of the country, their events aren't going to change at all because of what I'm doing here. So having it managing that what's going on in canon, what's going on in the quote unquote, you know, real world of your universe. Um, and, and then in your own timeline, that way you can assess in your chronology of events, what needs to be affected and where you need to bring in stuff that's happening. And maybe in the canon timeline that you're, you're keeping is you can identify and say, well, this is, a, this is an external factor that would still account for. Like, if you, let's say you're working on a crime drama and you're looking at the episodes that happen, right? Odds are most of those crimes, even if the teen dynamics are, are broken up different, differently, um, like you've changed things and how things happen on, let's say, the NCIS team or the Criminal Minds team, those crimes are probably all still going to happen, crimes that are investigated in canon. Now, how you choose to pull the events of those that occurred around those crimes, do you have the team is on rotation, they don't work that crime, but it kind of gives you um, a touch point to manage, you know, well, you know, in my story, because of a ripple in my story, you know, the NCIS team is off rotation that weekend, they wouldn't have even worked that crime scene. So somebody else would have had to take it, and therefore that event didn't happen. Um, so you just kind of that's one way of kind of managing ripple effect is to maintain those two separate timelines to help build your chronology and keep track of the things um, that would have happened in canon that may or may not affect what's going on in your ripples. So question, if Kate had opened the envelope in Swack mm-hmm. and died of the plague, would Ari have still, still felt the need to shoot one of them? Um, well, it depends upon what, your motiv- what, what motivation you're ascribing to Ari killing. Um, on the team. Was it to get if his sister killed, a place on the team? If it was strictly to kill, kill have, make an opening for Ziva, the that whole arrangement with Jenny would have had to have been in the works already at that point in time. In which case, he probably wouldn't have needed to kill anybody else. 
Um, if his motivation was to hurt Gibbs and he was looking to do it himself, and he probably would have gone after Abby next, honestly, not Tony. Because Ari, I believe Ari was lashing out at Gibbs through the women in his life. That was canon. He was going out. He, he tried to go after Abby. He then tried to go after Jenny. Although you could spin that, that, that um, scene where Ari shot at, at Abby as him shooting at Tony. You could even spin the scene where, where, where Kate was shot as he was shooting at Tony. So, you know, it all, it all depends upon how, what you do with Ari's motivation. If it was strictly a power play to get Ziva on the team, uh, he wouldn't have needed to do anything else. Unless Gibbs still, I mean, that would have been a few weeks before Jenny took over, unless for some bizarre reason Gibbs suddenly started acting out of character and filled a spot on the team very quickly, which has never happened in canon. He shot at McGee, but he didn't hit McGee. I find it unlikely if he actually meant to hit McGee that he missed. I think those were just to terrorize McGee. I don't think McGee was ever actually a target. Well, but you could also argue that um, Barry hit exactly what he was aiming at in that scene. Right. Which was the targeting mechanism for the missile, I believe. Yeah, I don't think McGee, I think if McGee ducked after the shot, not before. They didn't even know he was there until he shot. If he didn't want to take McGee out, he would have. He shot Kate point blank in the head. Instead of in the chest, which would have been an easier target. He shot her in the forehead. It's a very vain and telling shot for a. It doesn't matter. I. St- but he. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. He shot her in the forehead. It's very specific. I don't think for a moment if he'd have wanted to kill McGee that he would have missed. Yeah. But you know the questions raised. I'll just illustrate that. There's enough ambiguity in Aries' motivations and in how that scene went down that you could spin that scene quite a few different ways. Um, and that's why the, what you do with his motivation is really critical if you're going to make a change. Like Kate having died before that moment. What Ari actually? Well, did Ari hit? Did Ari hit the car, or did he hit the targeting me- mechanism? I thought what Ari in my head, what Ari hit when McGee ducked, it was the targeting mechanism for um, the one that they had brought to control the missiles. Um, I thought so too. I thought that's. What, I had to watch. I thought it that's again. what Ari hit, which is why I always assumed that Ari hit exactly what he intended to hit. Yeah, I don't think McGee was ever um, targeted for uh, assassination. I just, I just think that um, Ari was—he just wasn't. I mean, I, th- I think if Ari wanted to kill McGee, McGee would be dead. 
But also, the NCIS writers like to kill women um, to further male character development. So McGee was never on the table to begin with. I'm honestly surprised that Abby's character made it off the show alive. Yeah, I was too. No, Ziva didn't. <laughs> she walked away. She still got dead. <laughs> or yeah. she's assumed they killed dead. Her. They killed her when she... No, she she's dead. They, they killed her even when she wasn't on the show anymore. It was just... They just they just need to, you know, wrestle up the drop. You know, like you said, it's exactly what you said about how they use it um, to play on the, the male characters. So... Um, but you know, I mean, you'd ha- I'd have to I'd have to rewatch. I've I've seen that that episode a few times. I have to rewatch that scene exactly. But I think if Ari needed to hit that um, that box that he was down there trying to um, target the missile, you know, trying to get control of the missiles with, if McGee was in his way, he just shot him to get to it. If that was his intent, was shooting that box. Um, but I think that going after Kate was personal in some fashion, whether it was personal because he was trying to get a Gibbs or personal because he was trying to free up a space for Kate. I mean, free up a space for Ziva. And I don't think freeing up just killing McGee would have, would have actually accomplished a way to get um, Ziva on the team because I don't think Ziva and Kate would have gotten along. And um, I think that Gibbs would she have replaced given preference. McGee's skill set. Yeah, and I think that Gibbs, yeah, and Gibbs wouldn't have given preference to um, to Ziva over Kate. Oh, I actually keep waiting for Tony's character to die off screen, and for Gibbs to end up with custody of the kid. Oh, oh, God, oh, that that those show that show the show. I think the showrunners have the sense not to kill the favorite character because it they had a hard enough time, not with what happened to their ratings when Michael Weatherly left the show. I'm just saying. I mean, they've been, t- yeah, I, I can see where I can see why you'd think that I, it, it, it sounds like exactly the kind of thing the NCIS Raiders would do. Um, but, you know, they've been telling us for years that the big draw to that show is Mark Harmon. And then Michael and, and, and behind him, Polly Perrette was number two. Um, and then Mark, Mark Weatherly leaves the show and their ratings tanked. Um, Maybe he wasn't the favorite. I'm just saying. It could be my unicorn. <laughs> He's a unicorn for a reason. That's right, because he was the best part of the show. Vic hasn't persuaded you. Well, you just can't be persuaded. You're just stubborn. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't send me a list. You don't have to like my, you don't have to like my shit. And you don't have to... I have to say, you don't even... <laughs> You don't even have to like me to sign up for the Quantum Bang, folks. You don't have to like my work or read my work or even know who I am. Just It's just a challenge. Just do the thing. You do have to like me, though, because I'm likable. I'm really likable. I'm just kidding. Kind of. 
Nor is I mentioned that. So I was talking to somebody, and they said that they had mentioned the quantum bang to a friend and mentioned something. And there, she said that she thought it was funny that their response to, you know, signing up was, well, they didn't know anything about my writing. And I was like, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? I it doesn't have anything to do with anything. I, and I wrote back to her and said, and if, and if the real issue here is they don't like me, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Um, actually, Demad, that might be true for you, but not for me. I actually only started watching NCIS before Michael Weatherly because I followed him from Dark Angel. Am I the only one? Yeah. yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. No, actually, I, I didn't. I actually was. I don't know why, but I was put off by the idea of the show um, when it first came on the air. Um, the only thing I've ever ever watched Mark Harmon in was that movie with um, Madeline Stowe where he promised to become a weatherman at the end, or meteorologist. And that's it. That's the only thing I'd ever seen Mark Harmon in, and I wasn't impressed. Oh, I, see, I saw him in Freaky Friday. He wasn't a big, pro, he wasn't a big part of the movie, but it was, he, you know, he, he wasn't bad. Um, he wasn't the draw. No. He's Mindy's but, husband, you know, which is okay. But I actually, it was a couple of years in, and somebody said, we should watch NCIS, and I said, oh, I don't know. They said, well, Michael Weatherly's on it. I said, I know, but I don't know. It's just... I was so burned out on CSI by that point. Isn't it just another CSI? You know, don't we have enough of those? <laughs> so eventually I gave in and watched it because of him, but I didn't start watching it because I, I should have, you know, because I did like him in, in Dark Angel. But, um, yeah, at first that wasn't enough to get me over because I went, oh, my God, another CSI. Right. But, no, yeah, I watched him for – no, I watched it for uh, Michael Weatherly. One of the funniest early lines that he did was um, somebody asked him what the chances of something happening were, and he said the same chances of me dating Jessica Alba. And at the time, he was yeah. actually dating Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba, <laughs> uh-huh. He does little nods like that now in bowl. He does little nods like that to NCIS, too. Um, it's cute. When, I have to think he ad-libs those in because it's just – it's so consistent with him that he does that. Yeah, sometimes you just got to cut a show loose. Sometimes it's jump the shark, and you just got to cut it loose and move on with your life because there are better things you could do with that hour. Although, not really in the summer. You know, there needs to be more really good summer shows because I wind up watching Complete Drivel in the summer. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. or catching up on a show that I didn't watch um, in the fall. So summer TV is just, I, I don't know why they don't do better programming in the summer. I know they they're like the idea is people are on vacation and ratings aren't good. I mean, I, I guess that's the idea, but there, some people are watching something. I'm around. Put a TV show on that's decent. So, Andy, we've got a few more minutes. If anybody has any more questions about Fix It, otherwise we'll just ramble. Yeah, we have seven. About something. We have seven. We have seven minutes and twenty-two seconds, and counting, and counting, and counting. Um, I I do think there are some fandoms that lean themselves more towards um, Fix It than others. Um, Harry Potter, uh, um, The Hobbit, 
um, MCU, um, Stargate, especially when you have the option to time travel, as, as, as always, um, an, an easy way to go. Yeah, I, I, I think fix it. Um, it depends upon your preferred method of fix it. If you're drawn to time travel, you're going to definitely prefer fandoms where that's even a possibility. Um, but also, I think people gravitate towards fixits and fandoms that piss them off. Um, there's plenty of potential for fixits and Teen Wolf. Uh, there's so many yeah. things that need fixing over there that I just don't even know what to do with myself sometimes. Um, and then, um, but I would also say that you don't that, need magic or time travel to, to do a fix it. No, I mean I've. I, I there's so much stuff I want to fix in um, NCIS. I I could write NCIS fix it so I, I wouldn't. It's limiting. I could, but I could write NCIS fix it, you know, forever and not run out of fodder of, for things that need to be fixed and themes I wanted to explore. Um, I just I just don't have enough time. <laughs> um, um, one, you know, I was just thinking about um, React the the um, NCIS um, Teen Wolf crossover thing that I did have off my evil author day. That's like, I mean, there's no time travel, but that, that whole, that is like bringing a character in from another fandom who just comes in like, a, a, it just starts fixing shit. It, they're like, they're, they're like a, a fix it device. <laughs> like, you know, get that outside perspective. So he just comes in who has a lot of, um, authority or something, some power to come in and change things and just comes in and just starts making changes left, right, and center. Um, I mean, Tony was my fix-it device for Beacon Hills, which was a lot of fun. Very good device. I, I gave him a lot of power to come and in competency. and just... Yes. Uh, we have a competency kink. <laughs> Made him I very, do. You know, gave I have him a, a big of, competency kink. So and there's different ways of, of approaching the whole idea of fix it. And if you've got a problematic fandom uh, or whatever, if it's something you want to fix, you're having a kind of a hard time lining up, bringing a character from outside who has an outside perspective, who isn't immersed in, and and you actually, you know, you have less um, less character stuff to manage when it's someone outside the show. You know, you don't have to get, you know, you don't have to figure out how to get people out of their dysfunction or, you know, you just bring in an outside influence who can give people a wake-up call, um, come in and make changes or something. Yeah, give Shepard the Omega-13 on Atlantis and let him keep rewinding 13 <laughs> seconds. I think he'd be Shepard, more... I... Why, why wasn't it at least Omega-100? <laughs> I know. Well, but you know something that was um, that was a great example of lampshading because your reaction to something that um, the reaction to something that only goes thirteen seconds in the past is well, how useful is that? And they immediately lampshaded it by having the the character ask the question that would immediately pop in your mind. Well, what good is that? It was, I mean, I just really, to really see such a perfect example of lampshading is implausible things said, immediate, obvious question. It was like, there we go. Just deal with it. Um, but it's just, it's a hysterical little plot point from a little detail. 
um, of Galaxy Quest that, you know, I think it'd be a hoot, you know, and a, it'd be a little cracky. But Roddy's like, I think we found the Omega-13 device. <laughs> My favorite line in that whole movie is actually, this is a badly written episode. <laughs> when they're having to pop yeah. through those little slamming yeah, things. The, cr- like the, the crushers. All the chompers on, go on, go on through the chompers. She's like, "Why are they here? <laughs> There's no point in these episodes. Was badly written, <laughs> very badly written." And then when she gets she out has, of it, she's like, "Whoever wrote?" She gets to the end of the chompers and she goes, "Whoever wrote this episode should die." <laughs> fucking funny. I have one job on this stupid ship, and I'm going to do it. That's right, Sigourney. You tell him. Computer. <laughs> By the way, if you have not seen Galaxy Quest, I I I don't know what's wrong with you. Go watch Galaxy Quest. For <laughs> fuck's sake, you. And every Trekkie should see Galaxy Quest. Um, I don't remember which which actor they talked to about start about the Galaxy Quest, and they said that they had been worried about it or something, and then after the movie because they thought they'd be made fun of, and that. They loved it. That when they saw it, they just thought that the whole thing was handled with a lot of grace and humor. It's just, it's a delightful. Um, yes, Tony Shalhoub is brilliant. Oh, that's and, just not um, right. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah, and um, yeah. So, oh, that's not right thing. That was. <laughs> oh my God! That was Jamie Alexander. What was the, the alien girl? No, it wasn't. Well, Laliari? No, if it's not it her, it's the it's the it's the lady who played the mom in um um Missy. It's Missy Pyle. Missy Pyle played Laliari. Are you sure? Because they look they they look like twins. Then that's ridiculous. Yeah, Missy Pyle. Um, I always remember her as being in the um. Oh, why can't I think of it? Um, um, she was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She played one of the moms. I don't know why that's the role that sticks out in my head. She's been in a lot of things, but... Uh-oh, uh-oh, we're down to uh, 30 seconds. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. I'll just follow, they I'll do, volunteer They it. do look a lot alike, though. That is really weird. Okay, good night, everybody. Oh, shit.